0: Hey, we
1: are live in Bigger Than Dallas here at the uh, Media Row. It's a Super Bowl experience. It is something else to be here. We're going to be here all morning long. We'll be back again on Friday, Gatos and Chad, in the afternoon, tomorrow and Thursday. We've got you covered here, so keep it locked on KTAR News, setting up as many of the guests as we can to give you a full flavor of what's happening here at Super Bowl. Um, But I want to talk about the economy for a moment. Our good friend, Kristen Bentz, who is our resident expert when it comes to the economy and what trends are happening on Wall Street, especially in the retail world, she has been so on the money. She taught me some. Well, she always teaches me something, but she taught us last time the two things to follow in a good economy are are, are, are meds and eds hospitals and education. When you see an expanding of that, when you see that investment in universities or higher education, when you see investment in hospitals, it's a sign of a good economy. And uh, here in Arizona, you know the connection here with KTAR News and the great work that's done over at Phoenix Children's Hospital. Phoenix Children's has uh, is investing $400 million in two, children hospitals, two children's hospitals expansions. That's good news for the Valley for a multitude of reasons. Obviously, for someone, we always talk about uh, Phoenix Children's Hospital. I always say, if you ever need them, thank God they're here in Arizona. And I will say this as well. Uh, if you don't ever need them, thank God that they're here in Arizona. So Arizona's economy is better positioned to, to withstand a an, uh, if we have a recession. And most people are believing either we are in one or we are going to see one this year. I want to give you some of the numbers. Uh, Americans have spent down about 35% of the extra savings they accumulated during the pandemic as of mid-January. This is according to Goldman Sachs. The prediction is by the end of the year, they will have exhausted about 65% of the money that they set aside. So we are seeing a couple of things that are concerning to people that are experts when it comes to spending, whether it's retail, whatever it is. And that is, number one, a huge number of people behind in their car payments. We have credit card debt that's the highest people have seen in a very, very, very long time. And now we're seeing this exhaustion of people 's savings or money that 's been set aside um, i 've talked about the families as I grew up i 'm very familiar with the idea of really literally living working paycheck to paycheck because it is it is a tough place to be to realize that you are one mistake. Or one big issue away from financial ruin. Um, literally speaking, and many of you have, have lived through this, you get a flat tire. out Not only do I not have money for a tow truck, I don't have money for a tire. If I can't get to work, I can't pay my rent. If I can't pay my rent, I'll be homeless. And boom, 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 that fast the dominoes can fall. And I don't want to see any American in that place. Um, it is. Uh, it's interesting to me. To see how this works in the valley where the economy is good, we also understand that because of the high inflation that we have here, it was the highest in the country for a while, it's harder for families that were doing okay to make ends meet. Uh, America, inflation has Americans tired of tipping, but tips are actually growing. What's happening? This is an interesting story in the USA Today. That. Um, these, these companies, um, <clears throat> Square, the company behind the iPad point-of-sale machines you might see at a local restaurant or coffee shop, found total tips received in the fourth quarter climbed 16.5% year-over-year year and full-service restaurants at 15.9% at quick-service restaurants. Uh, so people are understanding, and I think this goes back to the shutdown during the pandemic. For me, uh, I remember very clearly watching, um, you know, going to the restaurants that I love going to so much in the Arcadia area when I was living in that part of town. And when they were doing takeout, I remember thinking, you know, these people who, generally speaking, in the service industry survive on tips, that's what they do is survive on tips, not being able to make ends meet. So people were jumping in and making sure they tipped the kitchen staff. And, and it was just everybody coming together. If you had a little extra, you gave a little extra, realizing we were all kind of in the same boat. And I was glad to see that happen. I worked in the service industry when I was a kid. Restaurants, one of my favorite things to do was work in a restaurant. So I'm glad to see that that's carrying on and that people are taking care of each other um It says uh, there's a headline also from the USA Today that says, where will the U.S. home prices drop in 2023 and where will home prices get even more expensive? Um, And so some of the places that they say are going to be dropping in the most, they say home prices in Malibu surged 82 percent in the first quarter of 21 to 22. Um, They're seeing these big climbs there. But they also think home prices went up in most cities such as Austin, Boise and Phoenix area were prime destinations during the initial phase of the pandemic. Um, But they think that they may may see a price drop in those areas. We'll see. I'm anxious to see how that happens. And last but not least, in this section as we talk about the economy, we also have to talk about um, cause and effect. And here is something that I find interesting. High tax state exodus accelerates as more Americans flee to Florida and Texas. A growing number of Americans migrated from predominantly blue states with steep taxes like California, New York, to red states with lower taxes like Florida and Texas last year, according to new data. And <clears throat> I have a friend that are, I was just talking with a friend of mine who's from Texas and said he ran into somebody and they were having a conversation and he said he was from East Texas. And uh, this person said, I'll see you soon. I'm selling my business and I'm moving to Texas. This is, again, um, the sign of why Arizona is doing the right thing with the flat tax and how they've done things, because we are attracting business. We are attracting industry. We are attracting wealth because people don't want to spend any more than they need to on taxes. And you can call that a political position, whether it's Republican or Democrat. I think that's everybody. In your personal life, you're going to spend as little as you have to to get the services you require. I don't think anybody in either political per- predominant political party, you know, I'm not excluding libertarians, but people that are politically inclined, largely we have a healthy suspicion of the government. I believe that. It's healthy. And so in practice... Why would we continue to feed the beast that is not being efficient with the dollars we spend, not being efficient at all? And that's just a great question for everyone. What we're going to do in a moment is a preview. The president gives his State of the Union address tonight. What will he say? What should he say? And what do the American people want and need to hear? All that's coming up here in just a couple of moments.
0: Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, happy Tuesday. Uh, Appreciate
1: you spending some time with us. The President of the United States is going to be giving a State of the Union address tonight. Um, And there's a lot of headlines on what's going to be said in that speech, what needs to be said, uh, the uphill battle in some areas he's going to have to to fight, and some areas where he is going to highlight. So I'm just going to read a couple of headlines. State of the Union, Biden to discuss strategy to reassert America's leadership on the world stage. Um, He's talking about the Chinese spy balloon and those other things. Uh, Biden um, is also going to talk about, is going to highlight, we know he's going to highlight job growth. Uh, The administration and the mantra of creating more jobs than any president in this time frame in history. It's a fair thing for him to say. I don't, you know, there's a lot of people out there that question how much of it is his doing. Well, that's fair. But also remember, and I'm one of these, I want to be fair. I want to be accurate and I want to be fair. Um, Thank you. If I am going to criticize the president, and I do, because of his policies, but I'm also fair in saying not everything that's going on is his fault, that part of it is happening independent of what he's doing, my question is, is he doing everything to make the damage as small as possible? And I don't believe he has. But I think that's a fair statement. Not every bad thing that's happened has been the fault of Joe Biden and his policies. The other side of that is fair as well. Yes, we have seen immense job growth under this president. But how much of it is the doings and the policies of this White House and how much of it is us naturally coming out of COVID-19? That's also a fair question. So the president is going to highlight that, and I'm sure he's going to talk about which of his policies. Well, they're going to talk about the Inflation Reduction Act, and they're going to say that the Inflation Reduction Act is working. Look at gas prices coming down. Well, the funny thing about that is, well, the prices are coming down from a record high. We have gas prices were never as high in this country as they were. Oh. <sighs> what, six months ago or a year ago. So this is the uphill battle part of this. Um, But one of the things that he is going to do, there's two things, I guess, that you need to know. Yesterday, we talked about 41% of Americans are now saying that they're worse off financially than they were um, uh, under the previous administration or since this president took office. Here's one that I would be more concerned about if I were the president or anybody in his party. The number of independents who say they are worse off under Biden, more than... Triples, triples. That is dangerous because, again, I, I I'm not an. In- voter i am a registered republican i'm going to stay that way um and i'm not leaving my party but i have a lot of respect for the numbers that the independent voters are turning out the huge the biggest increase in our country in voter registration is either new voters registering as as, uh, independent or existing voters changing their party affiliation to independent and we have to take a look at this that doesn't mean you compromise your principle but you better change your message you better change the way you talk to people if you want them To understand, if you want them to listen to what you have to say and believe that when you're running for an office that you're the best person for the job, if that is the case, then you need to make sure you're messaging to that group of people in a way that they connect with. Here is one thing that he's going to call for that I take such big issue with. and that is uh, Biden will call for a billionaire tax, bigger levy on stock buybacks in state of the union. So this minimum tax would make sure that the wealthiest Americans no longer pay a tax rate lower than teachers and firefighters. The problem here, let me explain what the problem with this is um, that, you know, we hear from them all the time. Uh, political leanings are across the board when it comes to wealth, the wealthiest among us. There are very wealthy Republicans, wealthy Democrats, wealthy independents. It, it is across the board the political spectrum. So the tax code as it exists, benefits all of those people the way it does. If you notice, they aren't saying that anybody is doing anything illegal. Okay? They're not doing anything illegal. So why wouldn't you change the tax code in a different way, or where it's more it's, it's fair for everybody else? This is the part of this whole thing that gets me, is that this president has been in the American government for about 50 years of his life. The biggest chunk of that is a United States senator, where he helped frame and reframe and rework the tax code. And now he wants to complain about how the tax code is unfair to the average American. He helped write it all his years in the Congress. And so the President of the United States, in my opinion, and and here's the other question that I have for you, um, and that is that um, when you have this kind of presidency and the idea that you're going to raise taxes, the average American, I wonder how much the average American benefits from this. This is my biggest question on all of this, is how does it help you? If you're someone out there that thinks that they should raise taxes on billionaires, why don't we lower taxes on the average American if that's the case? Because you're not going to benefit from this. And this is the part that frustrates me the most, is that if, you, if, you're, if your mantra is it's not fair that the billionaires are doing this why raise their taxes why not lower it for the other people that would benefit them you as an average citizen are not going to see any benefit no benefit whatsoever from a tax code that has nothing to do with you all it is is a mentality of punishing rich people punish the rich so when you punish the rich it's good for you so now you feel better that a rich person has to pay more in taxes but how does it benefit you we still are suffering huge deficits we are spending more than we're bringing in. This isn't helping America, and it's not helping the average working family. For the poor Americans, for the working class Americans out there that have been told your entire life that the government is going to help you with a better life, that they are going to help you climb out of poverty. We're going to bolster the middle class, because both parties say exactly that. How has it ever helped you? Uh, And I'm just asking an honest question. This This is my party politics coming out. Because I did climb out of poverty. My mother climbed out of poverty by working her butt off. And my mother never took a dime of financial assistance. She had some good fortune. She worked for some very good people that gave her opportunities, but she worked her tail off for of those opportunities. She, t- she took every door that opened for her. She worked every job she was ever given, and she worked hard for 20-something, almost 30 years, in order to have a small pension as so that she could retire, which is a huge accomplishment. So when you look at the people that climb out of poverty generally, they are the self-sufficient people that are doing things for themselves and they defeat the odds. That doesn't mean everybody does it. That doesn't mean we shouldn't care for the people that can't care for themselves. But if we don't stop believing that when the President of the United States and his party says we are going to tax the wealthy and the billionaires are going to pay more, that somehow it's going to help poor people, it never has. Show me when it has, and it it never will. Why aren't we, all of us, rich, poor, middle class, white, black, gay, straight, men, women, why aren't we all at least unified in our healthy suspicion of the government. And I mean healthy. A healthy suspicion of checks and balances that they are doing either party what they said they were going to do. In a moment, uh, we are going to shift gears to the border. Why are the leaders, Democrat mayors and governors, including our own, embracing the busing of migrants? We're going to talk about that next.
0: Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 923 FM, and the
1: KTAR News app. All right, we interrupt this broadcast for some important information. Joining me right now is Mike with the Wounded Warrior Project. Um, thanks for stopping by the table.
0: Oh my God, are you kidding me? This is, this is a dream come true. Thank you.
1: Um, let's talk about uh, we've been highlighting here in Arizona how the NFL is not only bringing dollars here and exposure to the state, but all of the other things that are happening uh, here and across the country with the nfl bringing their brand and the power of their brand to help organizations how are they partnering with you at wounded warrior project and how is it helping
0: yeah no absolutely well i i can speak as a warrior as a guy on the ground floor obviously i'm not in the offices i don't work for the organization but as someone who has benefited from their partnership you know i've gotten to go to nfl games i've gotten i've been to the draft uh we we go you know i'm I'm local to the baltimore area so i've been to training camp with the ravens uh john harbaugh as a coach is a huge supporter of War Project. He's donated his family suite to the game. So he's had guys up there during home games. It's been an incredible partnership. I'm a huge, huge football fan. And uh, so, you know, growing up very poor and whatnot, I'd never dreamed I'd have these opportunities.
1: So let's talk about your career, if you don't mind, and what led you to join and be associated with the Wounded Warriors. Um, I learned very quickly that there's a brotherhood and a sisterhood in the military, much like an NFL locker room, that when when you're counting on each other, that there a bond that never goes away. Absolutely. So when you got associated with Wounded Warrior, what does it mean to you to reach out to other veterans that may be in the need? Because it's such a great organization.
0: It, it, you hit it on the head. It's everything. It's everything. Uh, uh, I was I was drastically, critically wounded in war and spent years in the hospital, years having surgeries, recovering from my wounds. And and it wasn't the physical. That was the difficult part. It was the mental. It was the emotional damage done by by removing what it was to be a service member. That, that brotherhood, that camaraderie I identified as a soldier and that was ripped away from me. And so I was lost for many number of years post-service uh, and it was Wounded Warrior Project giving us that opportunity to be among my comrades again to have my platoon element and have my back. That's when I really started on the road to recovery.
1: We, I've, I've done a lot of work with organizations and suicide prevention on the exact topics that you're talking about because um, it, I think only a ve- as much as I talk about it, I'm not a veteran. My brother was, but I'm not. You have an instant connection with someone that's been in combat or someone that's been in the uniform that nobody can replace. How have you been able to take the horrible experience that you suffered physically and emotionally?
0: How are you able to now help other people? That, I mean, again, you hit it on the head. It's, it's like, you know, uh, <laughs> it, you know, it's, it's one of those things. We speak a similar language. I, I, can, I can just sit across from someone without saying words and, and just know they've been through this similar experiences I'm I'm very fortunate that Wounded Warrior Project gave me the opportunity to be a support group leader so I run a support group where I bring in veterans who are at different uh, parts of their recovery uh, from the beginning all the way to the end to seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and it's been amazing to be part of that journey to connect with those stories and to be able to help provide them the resources and and tools they need to not just survive what they've been through but to thrive after it
1: and I I hope this isn't too personal of a question just tell me if it is but when you have those very dark moments Mm -hmm and you've been through them. Are you able to connect and see it in someone else without them saying it, or does it always have to be verbalized before you can jump in and help someone?
0: I mean, everybody's in, It's everybody's an individual, right? Um, there are some cues to know that when someone's acting a certain way outside of their normal behavior, um, it, 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 I mean, there's so many cues of you know, giving away possessions or, or, or just not speaking or, or isolating or you know, these different things, um, but Word provides really great training in uh, safe talk, suicide awareness talk, and being able to to connect on that level, obviously having gone through some pretty dark times myself, I'm able to recognize some signs and others. Um, but the number one thing, and I tell everybody, is don't be afraid to talk about it. If you see someone that you feel is having a tough time, be open. Don't think, oh, if I mention suicide, I'm going to put the idea in their head. No, 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 no. Let's let's you know take the boogeyman out of the dark, put some light on it, and help each other.
1: So. Um Can you tell me about the turning point for you? You talked about how you had that ripped away from you and it kind of led you to that place.
0: What led you out? Yeah, uh, obviously, you know, I had great uh, uh, support when it came to my physical well-being. I had amazing doctors and nurses and all these people, but we, you know, this is 2007. We didn't understand as well as we do today the effects of traumatic brain injuries and PTSD. And for me, it was when I was able to share my story, when I was able to open up and actually talk about what I had been through and connect with other warriors. That's when it really, my road to recovery, really began. When I was able to share what I had been through,
1: I think most people have heard of Wounded Warrior Project, but I don't know if they understand the full depth and and width of what your organization does. Um, If people want to learn more, either for themselves as individuals, if they want to jump on board as a volunteer or a donor, or if they know someone that may need to be connected, what's the best way for them to find you guys?
0: Absolutely. WoundedWarriorProject.org. We're also on all of the social medias. It's very easy to find. WWP or Wounded Warrior Project. I would just say that, you know, everybody kind of knows us for, oh, we get guys, you know, tickets to the basketball game or take them out to dinner. But there are so many incredible programs uh, from from uh, educational benefits, health benefits, employment. I mean, I, I've, I've been through it all. I've seen it all. I've seen the miraculous changes in guys. People's lives have been completely changed by this organization, mine included.
1: Alright, so a selfish question before I let you go. Um, you're an outsider coming into Arizona. A, how do you like the weather, and how are we doing at hosting the Super Bowl so far?
0: I mean, honestly, I came from like 11 degree weather. So when I got off the plane and started sweating i was like all right i kind of get it i like it uh, i've been fortunate to be through arizona a few times uh, over my career and uh, it's it's always i am not gonna lie I'm not blowing smoke it's always been a good time i understand why a lot of athletes like to spend their downtime here it's perfect weather great training environment uh, lovely people and the food has been amazing
1: mike it's so good to talk to you man you you light up a room i mean you got a big smile on your face it's fun talking with you I but i appreciate you talking on such a serious topic and being willing to share your story and it, it's part of the reason why i've always loved warrior project and thanks for stopping by. Thank you so much. Man. All right, a little a little upbeat story about some topics uh, topics that are tough to talk about. We'll be back here in just a moment about college degrees. Woo!
0: Strong value and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here this
1: morning. We are out at Radio Row at the Super Bowl Experience Media Day, or media all week in the media room. It's a, it is a crazy, getting-filled-up, packed room. Just had a great interview with someone from the Wounded Warrior Project, so I appreciate it as we switch it up a little bit. Um, and we're going to get back to the border topic a little bit later in the show, but I thought it was important to hear some of the great work that Wounded Warrior Project is doing in conjunction. With the NFL and exposure and raising money and awareness, and uh, that Mike, uh, a combat soldier, a wounded veteran, um, just a great story. Um, before we close out this hour, um, uh, I wanted to. Um, I, I had the clock. Um, I wanted to. Sorry, we were in the middle of a discussion you couldn't see. Sorry about that. But um, college degrees are losing more clout, according to a couple of stories. Companies are increasingly dropping four year college degree requirements for their jobs, putting more emphasis on experience. Experience and that's not just entry level jobs. Uh, Let me explain how this, how I think, why I think this is brilliant. Um, Myself, not going to college, I went into the trades and so I learned on the job. And I learned on the job from people that were. that were already experts in the field. So I was on a job site learning from someone that was in the job themselves. It was passed down to me that way. The owners of the companies right now, I was an electrical contractor. The electricians I worked for came out of the field. There was a connection that I saw and that they saw in you. They could feel what you felt. In other words, they've done what you're doing. They understand, and they're bringing you along. Now, not everybody I worked for felt that way, but that's what you could see. But what it also taught me was if I, they could do it, I could do it. And they always gave me that feeling as well, which I was happy, I was thankful for. And I am not in any way, shape, or form trying to denigrate a college education. I still think that there are so many professions out there that require a college education, and I think it's a very worthwhile, phenomenal thing. You've heard me talk about uh, producer Julia. She's on the air with us every day with Did You Hear This? Um, a Cronkite graduate and just obviously an expert in her field because of the training She had at at, at school, but for companies that realize that sometimes it's more of a skill of what you learn on the job and life experience that makes you better at it. And and part of it is, so if you look at the the job of policing, a police officer graduates from school, graduates from the police academy with a head full of knowledge about what they're supposed to do and a basic knowledge of what it's like to be a police officer. But then they go through FTO, which field training officer  – they are riding with someone that's a seasoned experience officer. They're taught everything they need to know going along the way. And a lot of it is the experience they have to finally feel as if they're comfortable as a standalone officer. And I think that any time you see that it's an important part of things. So I'm not denigrating education. I'm saying that a lot of times companies are now realizing that the piece of paper doesn't tell the entire story. That a lot of times it's the experience that goes along with it. Um, the the um, the suspension of the AEL or the aggregate expenditure limit, the, the overriding of it, it's got a new ally, the Chamber of Commerce, Danny Seiden, who's a, been on the show a number of times. Danny Seiden said holding schools hostage with money that's already been appropriate. It doesn't make any sense. Um, so he was talking about this recently. Um, Sidney is throwing the weight of the small businesses and major corporations he represents behind a legislative effort to lift the archaic spending cap on K-12 through public schools. I'm going to go back to my old rant on this. I agree that this needs to be overridden. I absolutely do. But I think we should learn our lesson in the state of Arizona that if we are going to um, have propositions that are voted on by the public, and the idea behind it is that it's almost impossible to override it or change it because the Constitution changes that you need a two-thirds majority in the House and the Senate, we are going to run into this again. Now, what happened in 1980 when this AEL was passed may have been an appropriate thing for the state of Arizona. This may have been something that everybody in Arizona, obviously the majority of the voters in Arizona at the time thought it was a good idea. Well, here now, 40-something years later, here we are trying to with the idea that we need this money, it's already allocated for the schools, yet it takes two thirds majority in the House and the Senate. And anybody out there that's just saying, just sign it, just pass it, you know that's not how politics works. And I can guarantee you this time it's Republicans holding it up. If it was a bill that was on the opposite side of this and the Democrats were holding it up, they'd be doing it with good reason. The problem here isn't the politics of what's happening, the problem here is that these propositions are in place anyway because. If there was just a law that was passed in nineteen eighty by the legislature, they could go in and amend that law and get uh, get and pass something you know, pass a law or amend that law to get done what they need to get done, and that we need to get back to the representative republic we have before. I agree that this money needs to be spent, but I have also talked with some people on the Republican side of this conversation, and they make some very good points about what we spend money on in Arizona and how much we are getting. Uh, for our money are we actually getting value for the money that we spend and I don't know that we do and neither do they. The uh, the education system in Arizona is failing and we know that changes need to be made but those changes are coming very very slowly. So this group is saying we may never get an opportunity to force serious negotiation. Not force our hand in what we want, force a negotiation. We may not be able to do that any other way. So now is the time. If we're going to do this, now is the time. Let's sit down across from all of our cohorts. Let's sit down across from all of our colleagues the people on the other side of the aisle, and let's come up with a plan that fixes things because you're not fixing things this way, that things are not fixed, and I don't blame them, and I just think education is such an important part of who we are, especially that basic elementary school education, going into the high school and then going on to higher education or the workforce. If you're not able to read, if you don't have the basics, if you don't have the basics, you're stuck. You are absolutely stuck. What we're going to do coming up Uh, Just after 10 o'clock is we are going to go back and we're going to talk about um, the uh, um, busing of migrants. I think it's a valuable topic to talk about because now we are seeing Democrat governors embrace what Republican governors were. We are seeing Democrat mayors that are doing this, the mayor of New York and one of the things he's doing. So this should be an interesting conversation because we live in a border state. We're going to have that conversation coming up here in a few moments. So please stick around.